Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, the title of the message this morning is, A Slave Under Righteousness for God. A Slave Under Righteousness for God. You know, when you see a person in a police uniform uh, driving a police car, wearing a gun and cuffs on his belt, one can safely assume that he is a policeman, Right? When you see a person in a mailman uniform stuffing mailboxes with mail, delivering packages to your house and to your door, you can probably safely assume that he's a postman. One might also safely assume that if you see a big monster guy in a Buffalo Bills jersey on the TV screen, along with 50 or 60 other guys in Buffalo Bills jerseys and uniforms on the sideline with all their pads and helmets and, you know, they're tackling and receiving and blocking and so forth. One could probably safely assume that he's a NFL player with the Buffalo Bills, right? So some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, what's your point? You're kind of giving us the obvious. Well, my point is this. When you act a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, and generally live in a certain way, certain assumptions will be made concerning you. If we continue to live in sin, despite telling everyone we're believers, one might assume that we may not be a real believer. On the other hand, if we live with the help of the Holy Spirit in obedience, people will assume that our claim to know Jesus might very well be true based on our actions and our obedience. But every day we all have a choice as to how we're going to live and how we choose to live will determine what our life speaks. I want to take just a moment this morning and read uh, Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 15 down through verse 23. And uh, if you would follow along as I'm reading from the Legacy Standard, it says, What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then having from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at your word. Uh, Lord, we've worshipped in some song and word. And Lord, I pray that now we would worship through the teaching of your word. And God, that we would take it to heart the things that we hear and are reminded of this day. And I ask God that you would have your free will to reign in our hearts And Lord, may we respond as we out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, just for a moment, as I'm going through the book of Romans, it seems like these last couple chapters, it's almost like he's beating a dead horse. 
he's talking about this whole idea of overcoming sin. And I, I heard a, a man years ago at a pastor's conference, he says, you know what we do to a dead horse? He said, there's that horse that is sitting there and we, we want it to move so desperately. He says, we start kicking it. But the, the bottom line is it's dead, it's not moving. But, when, but after we kick it and it doesn't go anywhere, we kind of get down on all fours and we start pushing it. And yet realize that even after we're trying to push it, it's so heavy and it's not going anywhere because it's dead. And if that doesn't work, we get a rope and we tie it around the feet and the head and we're going to start pulling it away somewhere because one way or the other, we're going to move that dead horse, right? We want it to move. But it's almost like Paul is parked right here because there's something that needs to be said, something that needs to be learned, and they're just not quite getting it. Let me ask you a question. Maybe your kids were a whole lot better than my kids, but you've ever had to tell your kids to do something more than once? No, say it's not true. I mean, over and over, your kids, the first time you said it, boom, done, gone. They did it, right? No. See, we struggle and we remind them over and over and over again, right? Because there's some things that they need to learn that they just weren't quite getting, right? And so let's look at the text just for a moment. Earlier in chapter 6, verse 1, he asked this question, Shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? Now, obviously, he says in verse 1 at the end of it, he said, or verse 2, may it never be, how, we, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? So we're not to continue in sin just because God's grace is going to be there. And what do we mean by that? We've talked about this in the past. So are we going to continue in sin? Because we know that even if I do mess up, even if I do flub, even if I continue to have, not have victory over this area of sinfulness in my life, well, God's a gracious God. And in His grace and His mercy, He's just going to keep giving us grace and more grace and more grace. So it's really not that big a deal. It is a big deal, right? He says, may that never be our mindset. May that never be the way we're thinking. We should not live with the idea that we're going to continue in sin just because we know that God's going to forgive us. We said that, in fact, in the past we said that's really abusing God's grace, isn't it? So we don't want to do that. But as we come into our text here in verse 15, he asks the same question with a different nuance. This time he says this, What then, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Once again, the same result is, may it never be. So the first time he says, shall we continue in sin just because grace is going to abound? No. This time, shall we continue in sin because, well, we're not under the law anymore? Now remember, these people knew what the law was. All the rules, all the regulations, all the guidelines. And I'm just, well, even though they're there, no big deal. We're not under those things anymore. And guess what? We said before this, if there's no law to break, well, you're not breaking any law, right? I mean, duh. If, if I'm not, if, if there's no one saying you can't do this, well then bottom line is I can do it all I want, right? Because there's no law saying I can't. He says that's not a reason to do it. In fact, the point is this. If we have died with Christ, we should not continue in sin for any reason. Not just because God's grace is going to be there. Not just because we're not under the law anymore. The bottom line is if we have died with Christ, we shouldn't go on sinning for any reason. So this question often comes to my mind. Would God give us a command to do something and not give us the wherewithal and the power to, to be faithful and obedient to that command? I don't think He would. I mean, God, God says, hey, be holy as I'm holy. <laughs> You're never going to do it. <laughs> Told you. You know, no, God, if God gives you a command to do something, He's going to give you the wherewithal to do it, right? Do we agree with that? So He says, if we have died to sin, we should no longer be living for that sin. For any reason. And He gives us the power through the help of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to what He has called us to do and to be. So the point being, if we have died with Christ, we should not continue in sin for any reason. He says, may it never be so. So Paul goes on to share a few points regarding this. 
He says, we are slaves to the one we obey. We are either slaves of sin leading to death or slaves of obedience leading to righteousness. So we, had, we talked about this a couple, a couple weeks ago, but the idea of a slave. Does a slave get to make up his own mind what he's going to do? Can you imagine just for a moment, we've all seen movies about slaves on the plantations years ago and the travesty of all that, but can you imagine a slave, you know, a slave owner comes down and the master of all the slaves says, hey, we're going to start at sunup. And the slave just says, hey, master, I know it's a long day, but you have to know I'm just hot. Man, my mouth is like cotton. I'm not going to do it. I'll tell you what, I'll just be down there about midday. I'll bring some water for the rest of them. How far do you think that would go? That wouldn't go, would it? If, If the slave did not do what the master told him to do, the whips are coming out. There are going to be a harsh penalty for the choices that he makes, knowing what the consequences even might, might be. So he says, we're either slaves to the one we obey, and remember, a slave, so I'm either a slave to sin, or I'm a slave to righteousness. The bottom line is there's no middle ground. It's not, well, one day I'll think I'll do what's right, and the next day I'll do what pleases myself and my flesh. There is no middle ground here. So, we are slaves to the one we obey. Look at verse 16. It says, Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So we are going to be slaves to either sinfulness or obedience. There is no middle ground. And we realize that, as we said before, as we're going to get there in a couple months, several weeks, in Romans 8, that we choose every day. Because they that mind the things of the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. They that mind the things of the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. It is a daily choice as to who we are going to serve and obey. So we are either going to be slaves to obedience unto life or, or sin unto death. You know, Paul is really noting our status over our behavior here. The status is this, and he asks this question as we looked at in the past. If you have, what? Died with Christ. If, and that's a big two-letter word we talked about, if you have died with Christ, you have a new position in Christ. Those things are no longer, remember, dead people don't have choices, don't make choices. Dead people have no agenda. Dead people don't may have any planning going on as far as their calendar. Dead people are just that, they're dead. So if you have died with Christ... You are now in a situation where you have a new position in Christ. And I think what Paul is bringing out here is not just the idea of our behavior, but our position in Him. We're now in a different position. We're alive with Christ, dead to those things. And we keep talking about this because Paul keeps bringing this up over and over because obviously there is something that that he's wanting to get ingrained into their minds and how they were living. In fact, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 just for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. And beginning with verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You know what that word, were, means? It's past tense. In other words, who we were before Christ should not represent who we are now after Christ has come into our life. It says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly, once again, past tense, Walked according to the cursed course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now think about this. Bottom line is there is a change that needs to take place. We have now been given a different position, a different status concerning our walk. 
the course of this world, God's Word reminds us what this world is all about, does it not? 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17. through 17. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And he goes on to tell us at the end of verse 17 that the things of this world are going to what? Pass away. So he says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. You think that, uh, who's that? I was just talking to a couple days ago. He says, I feel like there's just a demonic power all around us. That is the prince of the power of the air. That is the demons that work, are work around us. And he says, we don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against spiritual wickedness and principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's of this world. Verse 3 says, Among whom also we formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But I love these two words. But God. But God. Isn't that awesome? That God changes everything. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He's loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The bottom line is we have got a new position in Christ. And Paul goes on to share this, that we are slaves to the one we obey. If we have been crucified with Christ, we're alive with Christ under righteousness. You know, John chapter 8, verse 34 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So who are we enslaved to? Second Peter 2.19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For Listen to this phrase. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. What is it that enslaves you and I? Is it the things of this world, the things that fulfill the lust of the flesh? Or is it the things of God and the things of the Spirit by which He's called us to live? The choice is ours. It says, however, you are slaves to sin, but because you are taught, you have become slaves to obedience from the heart. Look at this, verses 17 and 18. It says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, past tense, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over. And having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Have you ever thought about this? That God's Word says you've been freed from the patterns of sin. You've been freed from that. We don't have to live in the sinfulness of our flesh. He says, you've been freed from this. So why is it that so many of us still living, are choosing to live in sin? Because God's Word says what? There's no temptation taking you but such as common to man, but where with that temptation He's what? Made a way of escape. Then why is it that so many people are still choosing to live in sin? Because they're choosing, to me, this is just me, that common horse sense. But so much of overcoming temptation is simply saying no. Simply saying no. But I will also add one thing to that. You cannot live in the Spirit or have victory over the flesh unless you are living in the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to live within you 
right? That have victory. And apart from that, you will not see victory. So we've been freed from sin, verse 18. But now Paul points out an observation that many of us don't like to admit. Look what he says there in verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Does anybody want to admit that their flesh is weak? I mean, not me. I mean, if we're, if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't like to admit anything that's a struggle. Anything that is not just like perfect. We want to give the air that everything's good. Everything's great. And yet the reality is that many of us don't like to admit the weakness of our flesh. And I think if I understand Paul rightly, if I understand what he's going with this, he's saying something like this. With the same passion and energy that you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness before you were saved, present your members as slaves to righteousness now that you are saved. With the same energy and gusto and the energy of life that you gave to living for the things of this world, give them now, now use all that to live for the things of God. He goes further, he says, if you, if you live as slaves in purity to lawlessness, it leads to further lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. I think there are three words in, in, in the New Testament that are intricately related together. It's the word sanctified, the word holy, and the word set apart. These words are really interesting. So he says, verse 19, at the very end, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sanctification, the idea of being set apart and made holy. From what? The things of the world. The things in the world that we know that will distract us. The things that we know that will take us down. The things that we know that are not pleasing to God. The things that we know are not honoring. These are the things that we need to be careful of. Remember, he says the thing that you obey is the thing that you are enslaved to. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, it is the will of God even your sanctification. It's the will of God that you're set apart. It's the will of God that you're made holy. And He's given you the wherewithal to do what He's called you to do. Verse 20 I struggled with just for a minute. As I was reading through this this week. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I don't know that I could find a real clear argument for what this verse is saying. But here's what I think it means. I feel like they were unconcerned with living the right kind of life. They were living the life that they ever wanted, whatever life they wanted. Here's the idea. If there's no law... I'm not breaking any law. If the rule doesn't say I can't do this and I do it, well, I'm not offending anything because there's nothing saying that I don't have to do it anymore. The bottom line is, verse 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Righteousness wasn't a thought. I can do whatever I want because there is no law against it anymore. I can do whatever I want. However, sin unrestrained says justification is not that important. The righteousness doesn't matter if I can do whatever I want and live whatever whatever fashion I want that pleases my flesh. It doesn't matter. And this is where I come into verse 21. It kind of brings a kind of a humorous question to me. 
Verse 21 says this, Therefore, what benefit were you then having from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What benefit was there in doing the very things that brought you shame from doing them? Those things only lead to death. Shame from doing the things that lead to death. Question came to my mind is like, can you imagine just for a moment, proud papa moment, driving down the road, and you see your son pulled over on the side of the road with a squad car behind him. And next thing you know, you kind of slow down, and you're like, wait a minute, that's my son. And he stand behind the car with cuffs behind his back, and they got the dog out sniffing his car. What would be going through your mind? Oh, it's my son. Right? No. Is there any pride in the fact that your son's pulled over, got handcuffs behind him, and a dog is searching the car? Is there any pride in that? No. You see, once again, therefore, what benefit were you then having from the things which you are now ashamed of? If there was shame in that, what benefit was there from all that? None. Because it just brought more shame to the family name, right? There's no honor in that. There's no glory in that. There's nothing good that can come from that. Nothing. The reality is, is when you see something like that taking place, it's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Now all of a sudden I want to pull over and see what the real issue is. Right? There's nothing proud from the sin that causes shame. But he asks this question. For the end of those things is death. But that brings us back to Proverbs 28. It says, there is a way that seems right unto man. But the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. I can continue to do what might bring pleasure to my own self, what might fulfill my fleshly desires, but most of those things are only going to bring more shame and dishonor And there's a choice to make. Because if I continue to do that, that means I'm enslaved to it. It's my master. It's what I live for. It's who I please. Or I can please God with the help of the Holy Spirit living within me. In verse 22, once again, having this status, he says, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end eternal life. So question, if it just comes to a matter of choice, what would we rather choose? Living for the things of this world and living for the things of the flesh and being enslaved to it through disobedience or the things of God and being led by the Spirit and being really prepared for a future of life in heaven one day. Eternal life is what we all want. But it matters where the eternal life will be or or, or the destination of the eternal life, which is heaven or hell. But as we come into verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 22, the end of it says, Leading to sanctification and the end, eternal life. You see, every one of us are going to experience eternal life somewhere. Every one of us will. In heaven or hell. And the reality is, not everyone's going to go to heaven. That's true from God's word. 
not by works of righteousness which I have done, Titus 3, 5. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves, not a gift of work, but of faith. The reality is you can't save yourself. But if we have been crucified with Christ, and now we are alive with Him, we should be slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For one day we will spend eternity with our Savior. It's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not just, oh, well, just say this prayer and you'll make it there one day. But it's a commitment to follow Jesus Christ in a relationship with Him. So he closes this chapter with a blessed acknowledgement for the wages. We understand what the wages is. What you, re, what you have earned, the due recompense, the, the, what you have earned because of your sinfulness is eternal separation from God for all eternity in a lake of fire. But the reality is, the gift, a gracious gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the thing. I've never given my kids a gift that they had to work for. I mean, first birthday, second birthday, 10th birthday, 12th birthday, 20th birthday. Hey, I got the yard. It needs to be mowed. Take out the trash. Pick up your room. Then you can have your gift. Doesn't work that way, does it? It's Christmas morning. I know it's Christmas, but hey, we got some things to do around the house. We got to wash the windows. We got to vacuum the floors. And hey, in time, when I feel like everything's good, then I'll give you your gifts, right? Well, some of you might just be that way, but we don't work. We don't work for a gift, right? Jesus Christ already took care of the cost. He says the gracious gift. There's that word grace again. Why? Because you can't earn it. You can't. You don't deserve it. None of us does. But yet he makes it available. I love that. That he would do for us what we could not do for ourselves in offering Jesus Christ the greatest gift ever. But remember, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end, eternal life. If we've been sanctified, set apart, made holy, because of this position we have because we crucified the flesh and are now alive with Christ. We have the gift. And that's what we're living for, Jesus Christ in eternity with Him one day. So it should determine how we live in this life. Right? Because remember, once again, if the guy is wearing a uniform and has a gun and a cuff on his belt and has a badge and is driving a police car, you safely assume he's a policeman. If he's wearing a postal outfit and he's delivering packages and stuffing your mailbox, he's a postman. If he's wearing that big Buffalo Bills jersey with 50 other people on TV and he's blocking and tackling, he's an NFL player. And if you say that you are a Christian yet you're living for the world, you're a liar. We all have a choice as to how. And whoever you obey is who you are enslaved to. So if we are going to claim the name of Christ, Christ, our actions should back that up. I remember so often and too many times growing up when my dad would say, go clean your room. I will. I will. Take the trash out. I will. Get the yard done. I will. And my dad used to commonly come back with, don't tell me, show me. Because actions speak louder than words. I can say one thing, 
But if my life doesn't back it up, that makes me a liar. But one can safely assume that if I claim the name of Christ and my actions back it up, you can safely assume he's a child of God. But too many people in too many places claim one thing, but their actions say something else. What does our life picture show others? If we're careful and we're true and we truly have been risen with Christ and have put to death the things of the, our former selves and the things of this world, we've been crucified those things and we should be like the Apostle Paul. Crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. He said, I want people to see a picture of Christ by my actions. Not just my words, my actions. I want to live it out. I hope that's our desire. To not just say one thing, but to live it out in our lives. Because that's a completely different thing. People have this idea that it's my life. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. You can't tell me what to do. It's my freedoms. It's my rights. It's my privilege. I can do whatever I want. You have no say over it. That's not the vocabulary of a child of God. What does 1 Corinthians 6 tell us? What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are what? Not your own. Why? Because you were purchased with His blood. You're not your own. You don't have a right anymore, remember? You died to self and now you're alive to Christ. You have no more freedoms except for that which is to please Jesus Christ. And that's what our goal ought to be. Amen? That really ought to be what we're living for. But I think a lot of times it comes down to verse 5 that we looked at last week. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. It comes down to that big two-letter word, if. If you know Jesus... This is your status. This is your standing. This is your position and your new creation in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. We are different now because of this. And that should be the picture of our life. Someone who says what is true and backs it up with his actions. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord God, I pray that you'd help us all to be honest with ourselves. Lord, we know that from your word in Hebrews tells us that all things are naked and open before him with whom we have to do. We know from Psalm 139 that we can't go anywhere from your presence. Lord, you see us. You know us. You know our hearts. And God, I pray that we would be honest this morning concerning whether or not we're truly your children. God, I pray that you would just help us to be honest enough to admit, Lord, we can say one thing and do another. Lord, we can hide it so well from everyone around us but we can't hide it from You. But Lord, I do pray that You would speak to our hearts, Lord. And if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know You as their Savior, may today be a day of salvation for them. And I ask God that You would speak to all of our hearts. That Lord, even if we do know You, Lord, that our actions might reflect our words. If we claim to know Jesus, Lord, might our actions back that up. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and every week we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard from God's Word. And this morning will be no different. So just an opportunity to respond. You say, Pastor Ken, if I'm honest with myself this morning, I don't know that I know, really know Jesus. 
if someone were to judge me, and God knows my heart, but if I were to be judged by my actions, would it claim the name of Christ, or is it being a slave to the things of this world? Say, Pastor Ken, if I'm honest, I really don't know that if I were to die today, I would spend eternity in heaven, but I'm concerned. Listen, I will not embarrass you, not call you up, but you just simply look at me, give me your, you just look at my eyes, get my attention, I'd love nothing more than to pray for you. That you can have that certainty of knowing Jesus. Anyone like that this morning say, if I were to die today, I'm just not certain, I just don't know that I know Jesus, but I'm concerned, would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Wonderful. So the second question then becomes this. Do your actions reflect what you say out of your mouth? You say you're a Christian. You say you're a child of God. You say that you're a follower of Christ. Do your actions back that up? See, Pastor Ken, if I'm honest with myself this morning, there's some things that need to change in that area. Often maybe even hypocritical in some areas. I say one thing and do another. God's challenged my heart this morning. I need, I need to confess that this morning. Anyone like that, pray for me. Yes, in the back, in the side, in the front. Yes, in the middle, in the side. Can I just challenge those of you that raise your hand to take a moment and pray? Right there where you're at. Say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Cleanse your heart, Lord. Help my actions to reflect what I say is in my heart. May people around us see that when we say we're a follower of Christ, that it's real, that it's genuine, that they truly see a picture of Jesus in us. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm struggling in some of those areas. Yes. Take a moment right here where you're at and pray. Lord, forgive me. Fill me with your power, your spirit, Lord. Allow me to see victory, Lord. May my actions reflect what I say is in my heart. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, you know the very things that we struggle with, the very things that distract us, Lord, from fully following you, the sins that so easily beset us. I ask, Father, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Thank you for those who have already responded. Now, God, I pray that you would just give them victory this week. Lord, may their life be a testimony of ones who is committed all to following you. May our testimony, Lord, be one that tells the world around us that we are faithful to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd grant victory this week with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to live the life that you've called us to live. Lord, may we not make excuses, may we not justify, may we not rationalize our life, but God fully committed all to you. And we'll praise you for it, for it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.